Hey there, language lovers, Shannon Kennedy here, along with my co-host, Benny Lewis, for a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. We're talking to Elena, who learned Hindi with us as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. Wondering what the Fluent in Three Months Challenge is? It's a 90-day program where you aim to have a 15-minute conversation in your target language as a part of a supportive community. You can find out more and join us at languagehacking.com challenge. In this episode, we talk about how the challenge changed the way Elena approaches her language learning, the power of introversion, language learning with ADD and finding focus, using structures versus frameworks to overcome perfectionism and distraction, tips for studying lesser studied languages and ancient languages, the advantages and disadvantages of knowing multiple languages, and using the gold listing method to learn vocabulary. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, all of the links and resources mentioned as a part of this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. Now, let's get into our conversation with Elena. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 89. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I'm here with Benny Lewis. And today we're talking to one of our Fluent in Three Months Challenge participants and finalists about her experience learning Hindi with us in the challenge. So why don't we go ahead, jump into it. Elena, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us how you got into language learning? Hi, everybody. I'm Elena, and I was born in the Canary Islands, and I've lived there pretty much all my life. And, and I really got started very early with language learning. I don't know why, but I always had that thing in me. My parents told me that when I was a kid, for some reason, the intro of the uh, anime series Heidi was in Japanese here in Spain, and I just would learn the words in Japanese. So, and I must have been like eight years old or something. English was always my favorite subject in, in school. That, that was the one I was always looking forward to. Then when I went to high school, I took Latin and ancient Greek. I uh, went to college to study English uh, philology, which is culture, literature, linguistics, phonetics, you name it. Then I studied classical philology, or as I like to call it, language bootcamp, because you would get in, in depth with Latin and ancient Greek. And there is like, at least for Indo-European languages, languages in Europe and uh, the Indian subcontinent, You've seen everything, different scripts, cases, declensions, conjugations, weird word order, like there's nothing you can throw at me that, that I haven't seen in those languages. And while doing all that, I was also learning Japanese, I learned German, and I doubled with several languages like Italian, French, Hebrew at some point. And I always liked Bollywood movies. I discovered them like 10 years ago or something. And I love them and I love different cultures. 
But uh, when I was living in, in Oxford, I live in Oxford for the past two years, uh, one of my housemates had an Indian boyfriend. And during the pandemic, she, she decided to start learning Hindi with Duolingo. And, and at some point I said, okay, I'll do it to encourage you also, and we can do it together. And I just kept at it. I was not consistent at all. I think I only got to half of the Duolingo course. And then uh, last summer, I decided, no, no, no. I want to get this language to a high level because other than English, I've never been able to learn a third language to a high level. So I, I went to italki, found a tutor, and I think I've done three classes when the announcement appeared that the Fluent Simons Challenge was on. And I was like, yep, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> Very interesting. So Like you were saying, you've got a, a very good background in languages from the story that you told us there. So that's like sometimes we have people on the show who are like myself and they get into it late in life. But you've clearly got a passion for languages. And uh, despite that, I think before the challenge, you did have issues with learning consistently. So how would you describe your learning experience before the challenge and how has it changed with the challenge? With English, it was very easy. And this is something that I've realized during the challenge because I had a schedule and because I was in class and I had to do assignments and whatnot, I was kept accountable. So after that, it was really everything by myself because I'm an introvert, so I don't like or have an interest normally in, in interacting with other people. So even in, uh, when I was studying German and Japanese in the official language school, the Escuela Oficial de Idiomas in, in Spain, I was studying with other people, but then outside the classroom, I wasn't doing much. So when I was learning solo, it was like, yeah, I would pick it up. Maybe I was doing two hours, but then I wouldn't touch the, the materials or the apps or whatever it was from another week. Uh, then I would leave it for months. Then I would catch up again. I was retaining things, but I wasn't getting ahead when it comes to fluency. So, so yeah, I was able to get to the A1, A2 level, but I couldn't go any further because I couldn't stay on track with the language learning. And that was before the challenge. So when I entered the challenge, the thing that I liked was like, okay, this is very easy for me to be accountable because the daily check-ins are very easy to do for someone who has ADD is really important because it's It's not like I have problems focusing. Uh, I can't focus for long stretch of times, but it's like I'm, my mind is pulled in several directions at the same time. So it's really hard for me to teach one thing. I have the, the shiny object syndrome always calling me out for, for different things. So the challenge really helped me to stay on track with my language learning. And, I, and that was one of the key things I learned with this experience. So you mentioned that you are introverted. So that's something that you and I have in common. And I think, you know, just in a lot of conversation around introversion, it's often kind of made to be like this negative character trait or something that kind of holds you back, especially in something like learning languages where the goal is often to communicate. So I'm curious to know how you've used your introversion to your advantage in learning languages. First of all, I think introverts are very good at observation. So it gives you a chance to really observe the language. You also get the, the advantage of enjoying more of the of other resources like films and music, which in turn gives you more time to reflect on the language because 
It's easier for you to spend more time doing listening activities or reading activities than, than for other people. Also, you, you're not going to be disappointed or, or bored if you don't get to talk to another person because for other people, if they are not interacting with someone face to face, you know, it can feel, you know, a little, a little, uh, boring or uh, not as motivating. Whereas for an introvert, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, whatever. <laughs> if I can speak to someone in person, I can just shadow the audio I'm listening um, here in the app. So talking to people doesn't become that much of an issue. And while you have the introversion in, in common with Shannon, you mentioned that you have ADD, which is something that I absolutely have in common with you. Because like you said, there's this shiny object syndrome that, you know, you want to focus on this, but you're interested in so many other languages. So you might want to go learn another Japanese TV show intro theme song or something at the drop of a hat. How do you deal with that? Because there's so many interesting things to learn in the world and we can only ever make progress if we're able to direct our focus towards the language we should be working on. How do you manage that? That has been a lifetime journey. And I guess that's something that just I don't know if it comes to you with age or just at some point you realize that you need to focus on one thing, pick something and, and just focus on that. And also, uh, getting rid of this scarcity mentality, because sometimes you get this, this feeling that you're going to miss on an opportunity that maybe you are using these, um, these resource and you're missing on the other better resource that is out there. So getting rid of that type of thinking is also very important. And you can, you know that you always can change your schedule, your resources, but give them some time, try them on for, for a couple of weeks, a month. If you see that you're really not getting into it, if it's really not for you, then change to something else. And also another thing that helped me was to mix things up a little bit during my week. So um, I can't keep a Duolingo streak because it's, it will be just overwhelming for me. I just need to do something completely different once or twice a week, do something completely different of my usual schedule. So you just mentioned something like the Duolingo streaks, which are very structured. And um, I know that you have this philosophy around structure versus frameworks. And you this is something that you implement into your own learning so that you have a little more flexibility. Can you talk about that in greater detail? Yeah, especially when you suffer from ADD and perfection paralysis, thinking about your schedule in terms of a framework rather than a fixed structure is really important because the goal is to work within certain parameters. So it's not like I need to do uh, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. I need to do drops, Duolingo, podcast, grammar drills. It is the thing that's like, okay, what do I need to do? for my language learning journey. So what, what is the time that I have? Do I need to do 30 minutes throughout the day? That's the framework. So can be 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon, 10 in the evening. Am I focusing on, on vocabulary? Because I need to focus on the four skills. So vocabulary, well, then maybe I'm going to watch this movie and I'm going to try to catch the new words I've just learned. I'm going to listen actively to see if I can recognize the new things that I've learned in, in my recent class or whatever. That's sort of the the mentality to have the resources available, know how to prioritize them and and allow and, and allow things to flow and not have such a rigid structure because that wouldn't work for me because I need to switch things up. So with Hindi in particular, uh, it's an interesting case because it's 
one of the most spoken languages in the world. And it has so much media through Bollywood. And yet in Europe, it's way less frequently studied. So how did you manage to find the right resources compared to what you would have done with English or if you were doing any other language? And how did you make sure that you stuck to those and that they were definitely helping you make progress? It was difficult. So as you say, it's not that common. It was difficult to find good resources and interesting resources. For instance, it was very difficult and it is still very difficult to find reading materials. I mean, of course, you can find, you can just switch to uh, the Wikipedia in Hindi and, and read to your heart's content. But for a beginner to find great readers and things like that was very difficult. So initially, I just stuck to, to what I could find, which was the Hindi Pearl 101 series, uh, Duolingo, uh, and Drops. Then as, as I was doing the challenge, I was finding out that there's more apps that offer Hindi. So I would use free trials and try them out, see how they were. And in the end, it's a mixture of, of here and there. But if you can find at least a listening material, where if, if it's Duolingo, a podcast or whatever, and a textbook with the structures, you're good to go. So even for the less studied languages, that could be enough to get started. Then if you find a tutor that's going to help you filling the rest of the gaps, you can move ahead. So those three things would be like the first thing to start, even if it's a language that has very little resources in Europe, for instance, like, like Hindi. So in addition to studying lesser studied languages, you've also studied ancient languages, as you've mentioned. And I can imagine that that can be quite a challenge because it's not really something you can find recordings for or native speakers. So what was your approach to studying those languages and what would your tips be for someone who is interested in studying an ancient language? Well, when I was studying those ancient, ancient languages, it was in high school and in college. And the focus on that was translation. So it was the pure, hated grammar translation method. Learning the grammar, remembering the grammar, doing endless grammar drills, and then translating. So it didn't really matter that there was no, no native speakers or recordings because that was never the focus. Even though in college, we were, in, we were encouraged to read aloud, to get you know, into the melody of the, of the language, especially with ancient Greek, because there I realized that the sound in terms of the, the accents and all that helps you to remember the words, helps you uh, tell the words apart, similar words apart. Nowadays, there are, there are better resources out there. There's italki tutors who would teach you Latin, who would teach you ancient Greek, and they will speak to you in that language. There are methods who use some, uh, which use a more natural approach, like the lingua latina per se illustrata. And for Greek, there are similar things to that, that there are newer approaches so that you can learn those languages in a more natural way. So you'll learn the structure and the cases without really studying grammar. So I would really recommend anyone who's interested to start with those because it's more, it's much more palatable and it's much more effective. So a language like Hindi uh, feels very far removed, but because of your language background, you would have the experience to know that it's an Indo-European language. So what kind of commonalities have you found both with loan words and just grammatically and how the language works that we may not expect because we feel like it's such a distant language. And what does it actually have in common with uh, European languages? 
Well, the long words, there's many long words from English, obviously, because of the history of India. So many times people in India would use the English word rather than the Hindi word. So you can get away with mixing the, the two languages a lot. There's certain words like ma, which is mum, pita or bab, which is dad. And I don't know if there's many more in terms of same root, but there's cases, the, the way in the, the cases work, uh, for instance, you would say meson key, which it means off the tables. Um, and that will be the oblique case. Having learned Latin, I don't have to struggle learning about understanding what, what a case does. What I, why does the word change? So I can like, okay, yeah, that's the language. That's no problem. Also, it has in common with Japanese, the particles. So for instance, if you were going to say, talk to me, you would say, muchko bolie. And that ko is the same as in Japanese, uh, watashi ni. That ni is the word that, that, that will be indicating to me in this case. So, and the collocation of those particles is very, very similar to Japanese. Even the word order between the two languages is very similar. And as a matter of fact, my, my Hindi tutor also studied Japanese and Spanish. So <laughs> he's able to pick up on all of those nuances and tell me, yeah, yeah, it was very easy to learn Japanese for me because, because of the word order is very similar. So yeah, the more languages you, you learn, the more it helps to learn new languages in that in that regard, that you don't get surprised that much. Nothing caught you off guard, so to speak. I'm curious to talk a little bit more about this because you've studied so many languages from very diverse language families. Um, one of the things that a lot of learners worry about is confusing the languages. So can you talk a little bit about how knowing multiple languages has both helped you and then also maybe the ways that it's caused some of that confusion and overlap and what you've done to sort it out? You can compare between languages and see the similarities and that'll help you understand how the language works. My linguistic background also helped me a lot with that because I can help, I can get an understanding, a basic understanding of how a new language that I'm learning works. It, it takes some of the guesswork that you have when you're learning a new language and you don't understand by why the subject in this sentence is different than the subject in that other sentence when in both cases is I. Why, for instance, in Hindi, why in this one is me and the other one is muje? Why? Learning more languages will help you with that. About the confusion, I don't know, just just practice, I guess. In my case, it's just being just pulled through <laughs> because uh, sometimes, uh, especially if, if it's been too close, like for instance, the other day I took a class in Latin and the next day I took a class in Hindi and when they ask, where are you from? The first thing that popped into my mind was the Latin, unde venis. I was like, no, wait, 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 <laughs> no, that's not it. So I don't know, I guess it takes a minute to give yourself a minute to think, no, that's the other language. And something, uh, actually a trick that, that you gave me once, actually, Shannon, I don't know if it was in an office hour or something, was like, if you notice that you're having trouble mixing up two languages, put them together and really say, Unde venis, kahasahe. Unde venis, kahasahe. So that will help you, even if it seems strange to put the language even closer, that really helps you to tell them apart because like, okay, okay, now that I'm seeing them one side by side, I can really see the difference between each other. So that was one that, that's been really helping me. <laughs> it's been helpful. So uh, for you, uh, music and songs can be a very big part of learning the language and 
I can only imagine how Bollywood movies would have played into that. How did you incorporate that into your learning? And how do you learn in general with your other languages when it comes to songs? Actually, that was my first language hack discovery uh, when I was learning English. Not even, not even learning English, I don't know. When I was a little kid, I loved listening to music. And the music that was always listened to in my house was in English. It was the Beatles, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan. And, you know, back in those days, vinyl records would come with the lyrics printed on the sleeve. So I would uh, sit down, put the record on, and read the lyrics while listening to the songs. That made wonders for my, for my listening skills, for my pronunciation skills. And then later on, when I was growing up, and I was around 13, I really got interested in knowing what the songs said. So I started translating the songs. And of course, learning them by heart. I sing horribly, but I like to sing anyway. So I, I like to memorize the song to sing them in the car, in the shower, whatever. And I've kept doing that in every language I encounter. I try to find the music that I like and try to memorize the lyrics and try to get to translate the lyrics and always, and to, for everything really, the, that trick of listening to the audio while reading a transcription or the lyrics or whatever it is, it really helps a ton in terms of acquiring the structures, the vocabulary, the the rhythm, the sounds. And also because it gives you feedback, um, the more you learn then in your classes, the grammar, the vocabulary, etc., then you listen this, to the song again. And you recognize more things. And then because you listen things in the songs, when you encounter them in a textbook, in a class, remember that from the song. So you already have an example from the real life. So I think it's a wonderful exercise that I recommend to everybody. And, and it's fun and it's easy to do. So for me, it's awesome. Did they come into play with your Bollywood movies that obviously incorporate a lot of music into them and try to sing along and follow the lyrics and such? Definitely, definitely. I try to do that with every movie. At least there is a song that sticks. So I always pick one or two and I try to remember them. And I try to, I go to translations first because I'm still at a beginner level. So I'm not able to translate to, to a higher degree to able, to be able to understand by myself. So I go to a translation and start getting the feeling of what means what, how the song goes. And then, and then I just try to learn to focus maybe on, on little paragraphs and see, okay, what are the words in here? Can I understand this thing? How does this relate to what I've been learning? How, how is it different? Because there's the question of dialects, of course, and all that. So, so there may be a last teacher teachers, like I listened to this and that song. Why is that? And then all oh, that because it is based on Gujarat and that's a Gujarati word. And of course it's fun. It's really fun. <laughs> Bollywood music is really fun. So in addition to using music as one of your tools for learning languages, one of the other methods that you were using during the challenge was the gold listing method. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to use gold listing and how it worked for you? Well, I was trying to find something different than flashcards to remember the vocabulary and to remember the structures. I've tried flashcards and maybe it's my perfectionist side that I try to make them to, to, to perfect with a perfect audio and perfect image and, and everything. Um, but I, I needed something one to sort of record to have a, like my own word bank 
And uh, second, to remember and review vocabulary and structures. So someone on my on my dream team uh, mentioned the goal list, and and I decided to give it a try. And it it really has been useful for me because you don't have to do it every day, even if the recommended ratio is to do it every day. You can do it once a week. You can do it twice a week. I chose to do it um, twice a week after my my lesson with my tutor. I would use the new sentences to create the gold list, and then I would, I would do the, the the reviews based on the, all the distillations based on the normal uh, ratios that they gave you of the two of the weeks and and etc. And it was really nice because also it's not just about words. You can use phrases, which is more helpful for me because I tend to prefer to remember words by context. So if I can remember or write down a little sentence, it's better for me than learning the word in isolation. So in the middle of your challenge, there was a, a point where you've, you were starting to feel like your progress was a bit slow. And this is absolutely something that happens to so many of us, myself included. So how did you combat these concerns that you're going slower than you wish you would to keep up your progress and to start to feel like you're doing better? Well, the community was key there. The community was key there. Watching other people, you know, reading their comments, reading their yay or the, 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 the yay or nay reports, saying, seeing what other people was doing is like, okay. So this person said, I, I have a terrible headache today. So instead of doing 45 minutes, I just did 15. Like, oh, okay. So other persons, I learned about the low hanging fruit, which is like, I don't have the energy today. I'm just going to watch a movie in my target language and that's it. So that's really when I started letting go of my perfectionism and, and thinking, whoa, you know, a language schedule, a language study routine doesn't always have to be studying. It can be something fun and relaxing, like listening to music, watching a movie, talking to your pet in your target language, just do anything but do, but do something <laughs> because the key is to just touch the language, just touch the language every day. That's really what keeps you going because if you put it off for, for many days, then it gets harder to get back on the horse. So just touch the language every single day and then go talk to someone. And also there in the community was awesome because there's other people doing the same thing as you are doing. So they perfectly understand when you say it's like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do this today. I feel like I'm not making progress. And there's always someone there to tell you, it's okay. I feel the same. Don't worry. It will get better. <laughs> Just keep at it. And then you, you get reassured. You feel more relaxed and you allow yourself to take it easy on those days. So that was really key for me during this challenge. One of the fears that a lot of language learners have when they've taken a break from their language is regaining the ability to get back into their studies. So rather than diving right back in, they keep pushing off when they restart. And I know at one point during the challenge, you had some other things going on that kind of forced you to take that dreaded break, but you were able to get back into your studies. So what helped you do that and get past that hurdle of restarting? 
Once again, the community, they keep you accountable, but in a way that doesn't seem off-putting. It's not like they're shaming you or anything. They're actually encouraging you and they are really understanding and supportive because they know exactly what you're going through. Having the meetings, my Zoom meetings with my Dream Team members every week really helped me to get back on language learning because it was like the lifeline. You have that weekly connection to your language learning. So it's like, yes, yes, I'm doing this. So it really never came to the mindset of I stopped doing this. It's like, well, I'm, I'm doing less of it. So now I'm going to go back to doing more. So that was really key for me. And that's where I, when I really learned, like, even if you like flying solo, find something. Everything's better if with a windmung. What is your future going to look like with language learning? Because you initially started Hindi to encourage your friend. So where do you see that going? And what other language projects do you think you'll take on in the future? Well, I definitely want to to reach like a B2 level with Hindi because I want to be able to understand movies without subtitles. Um, and as for the rest of the languages, I know that at some point I want to learn the other official languages of Spain. I don't know when we are start or which one will I do first. And I also want to learn Italian because I will probably travel to Italy with my sister at the end of the year. So, of course, now I have to learn Italian. <laughs> and as for the other projects, I mean, how many languages are in the world? <laughs> I want to learn them all. <laughs> Speaking of learning many languages, several of the languages that you've studied up to this point use different writing systems like Japanese, hiragana, katakana, and kanji, and Devanagari with Hindi, and you've also learned Hebrew. So how do you tackle learning all of these different writing systems? Well, first of all, for me, it's really fun. I think it's the coolest thing ever, like to write secret messages, to write your journal in another script so that so that nobody else can understand. I think it's like the best. It's really not that complicated if you think that, uh, especially with alphabets like in Hindi or in Greek or the or katakana or hiragana, you just have to think that it's your same alphabet, but with another form. So it's like the A is still an A, but it has a different shape. And that's it. So you learn the new shape. You first learn them one by one. Flashcards can be very useful, useful for this, but you also want to learn them in a word. And schools around the world always have these alphabets where they give you the, the word that starts with that letter and then read, read and read because practice is key. There's no way around it. The more you read, the better you get at it. Oh, and also write them down by hand, even though you're not planning to use writing in your, as a language goal, but writing them by hand really activates your memory. It's just because it engages more more senses and more muscles, and it, help, it helps you with the memorization and the recognition. So writing them down by hand um, really helps. So you picked up a, a lot of different uh, hints and tricks over the last months and obviously over your lifetime learning languages. So with that in mind, given that this is the Language Hacking Podcast, what would your personal definition of language hacking be? Uh, for me, language hacking is thinking outside the box to make language learning more effective for you specifically. Nice and concise to the point. I like it. <laughs> Very good. Well, this has been a fascinating chat and uh, any of the things we discussed, we'll make sure links to them are in the show notes for today's episode. 
And we hope that uh, listeners have been encouraged by Elena's story. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. And until the next time, I wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest. And we try to pick things that you can implement into your language learning right away. Try out this week, see how it works for you and see if it's something that you'd like to make a part of your own language learning plan. So Benny, what was your takeaway from our conversation with Elena? Uh, I liked a couple of points that Elena hinted to when it came to battling perfectionism. So like in one, she was saying that the idea of trying to find the absolute best language learning resource uh, is a bit of a fool's errand and you just need to use what works. So that has been a huge game changer for me is not obsessing with getting the absolute best one. And another one that I personally relate to is what she said about streaks, because I know streaks can be very motivating for a lot of people. And I've seen you, Shannon, share your drop streaks you you're in the probably in the millions by now (laughs) but i've seen people do that effectively and if that is motivating for you absolutely keep up a streak because that's going to help you but she mentioned that she doesn't have that as part of her strategy and i personally also not found streaks to be helpful to me because of my adhd meaning i'll get distracted and maybe i'll forget to even open the app today so it, it, I do want to remind people who might have feel, felt a little pressure uh, to maintain their streaks if they found it really clashes with how they uh, comfortably learn a language. It's okay if streaks aren't a part of that. Obviously, if they work well for you, then you should try to keep that up. But um, the likes of Elena and myself don't actually stick to the streaks as religiously. And we have, we have our own successes. What was your takeaway? I would have to say my takeaway was what she said about learning other scripts. For me, lately, I feel like learning another alphabet or writing system has become a necessary evil. So I look at it as this thing that I have to do, and I don't enjoy it so much right now. But when I reflect back on when I first started getting into languages with other writing systems like Chinese, I remember just being fascinated by the writing system. And like as I start to piece together the different characters, like, oh, this component means this and this component means this it's like oh the word for clothing is like tooth cave wow that's so weird so like finding that fascination and that interest and that you know fun in learning another writing system and I think I need to like take some time to reframe the way that I look at learning other writing systems and try and rediscover that fascination and not think Persian writing system yay I need to be like huh let's see like how does this relate to, you know, the Arabic writing system? How, you know, what sorts of things can I do to kind of draw these comparisons and then also just kind of like revel in its uniqueness and its origins and its meaning and it like in it for itself? Because I do enjoy those things, but I think it's just become too much of a process for me and not so much this fun thing that I get to do and learning a language that has another writing system. So that was my takeaway. And another one that I had was what she talked about was structure and frameworks. And I am very much a structure person. Like I thrive when there is structure, but I think that I can actually give myself some more freedom, flexibility, and creativity in my learning if I start using frameworks rather than structure. Because frameworks 
in a way our structure. And so it still kind of gives me that thing that I need to thrive, but it also opens up, you know, the possibility for novelty, newness, trying something a little bit different, you know, so being a little bit more open with the structure that I have by using frameworks. And I think that that's another great takeaway. So that's it for me. And once again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. So please leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. And as always, everything mentioned in this episode is going to be available to you as a part of the show notes. So until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pasco. with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.